Hello, and welcome to Renegade Files. I'm your host, Lex Gordon, broadcasting from the Jungle Villa Outpost, deep in the uncharted tropics. This is Renegade Files, episode number 19, the Denver International Airport. This episode was originally scheduled to air on March 21st, 2022, but the audio editing PC in the communications bunker here at Jungle Villa Outpost crashed. After much persistence, we are back on track, so you can continue to expect new episodes every 10 days, like always. I just wanted you to know what was going on, so thanks for your patience and understanding, and that's enough of that. This is a really cool episode, so let's go. There are certain things you expect to see while strolling through the airport to catch a plane. Departure and arrival signs, a few restaurants, coffee bars, and donut shops, places to sit like couches and tables in the common areas or those bus station type seats at the boarding gates. Take a trip through the Denver International Airport and you will no doubt see areas just like this populated with the usual suspects. Families hurrying along, salesmen pulling wheeled carry-on bags that don't quite roll straight, college girls wearing pajamas so they can pass through the TSA gates faster. But the Denver International Airport has a few added attractions to make flying through the area more memorable. Demonic horses, murals of soldiers crushing the population, kids in coffins, devils popping out of luggage, the Egyptian god of death, You know, all of those comforting images you want to see before boarding a jet airliner to fly across the country. Put all this into an airport that covers an area twice the size of Manhattan, that costs $2 billion more than projected, that can pump enough fuel for 10 airports, then build it on top of miles of tunnels and underground facilities, dedicate it to the Illuminati, and carve a bunch of spells and numerology into the walls and floors, and you have just successfully fueled the curiosity of every free-thinking cultural observer this side of Bohemian Grove. In this episode of Renegade Files, we dive deep into the facts surrounding the construction of this most improbable airport. We look into the costs, materials, and finished products, all of which beg explanation. Then, we explore the bizarre art installations, statues, and strange inscriptions that appear throughout the airport and that have sparked a long list of conspiracy theories. Next, we hear the unlikely responses of the airport authorities and the hard-to-believe way that they have reacted to these conspiracy rumors. So pack your backpack and your carry-on bag, put on your sweatpants, t-shirt, and Crocs with socks, Check your smartphone boarding pass for the hundredth time and come with me on a flight to investigate the mile-high strangeness at the Denver International Airport. Denver International Airport. Denver International
Part 1. Building the Denver International Airport The Denver International Airport was mired in controversy from its inception. Part of the issue was that Denver already had an international airport, the Stapleton Airport, just four miles outside of the city, and the proposed new airport was planned for construction 25 miles outside of town. But there were reasons for this. The Stapleton Airport had been upgraded and added to since the days of gravel runways, and it became one of the worst travel bottlenecks in the nation. High winds and an outdated runway system caused constant delays, and deregulation promised to bring more affordability and, as a result, more travelers through an already strained facility. The decision was made for a new airport to solve the two main issues of volatile winds and increased flight volumes, and the new Denver International Airport project broke ground. In the end, the Denver International Airport began operating in 1995, a year and a half past its scheduled completion date, and $2 billion over budget to cost a total of nearly $5 billion. It is enormous. The airport covers 53 square miles, or 34,000 acres, and is twice the size of Manhattan. You could absolutely get lost in it. Going by rates in my area, it would cost you over $100 to Uber from one side of the airport to the other. It is huge. The construction was a debacle. According to a 2011 Larson and Gray case study of the project, the Denver International Airport development plan provides no evidence of a statement of work or project charter to explain how risk management or changes in the project would be controlled. Anyone who has ever gone through the process of building a house knows that changes can be one of the most costly aspects of construction. Any good contractor will have a documented process for dealing with changes made by the owners along the way, and much of the reason for this language is to convince the people building the house to make their minds up before getting things built to minimize both the changes made later and the costs associated with those changes. But when they decided to build the second largest public works project in the world, second only at the time to the channel that links England and France, they skipped this step. So what happened? The scope of work was changed seven times. In March of 93, the Denver mayor announced that the airport opening would be postponed until December 93 resulting in an additional $1 billion in expenses tacked on to the already $1.7 billion spent. But in October of that year, they pushed it back again, this time to March of 94, and added another billion dollars to the price tag. Two months later, in December, an incomplete baggage handling system caused another pushback. By February of 1994, they still had not sorted out the baggage handling problems, and the opening date was again moved, this time to May of 1994. 
Then, in May of 94, instead of opening, the Denver International Airport hired two German engineers who had worked on similar baggage handling systems at the Frankfurt Airport. Probably growing tired of missing their own targets, in August of 1994, the Denver International Airport announced an indefinite delay in opening, and at this time, the final building costs were estimated to end up somewhere around $4 bucks. And it wasn't only the frustrating baggage handling system that was at fault. One document states that the DIA project managers incorporated so many small changes that the resulting time and money needed to both undo completed works and accomplish the additional work of the changes resulted in insufficient time to complete the project and seven delays in the project's completion. In addition to not having a plan in place to deal with or curtail changes along the way, another issue was communication. Here are just two quick examples. First, 80% of the flights into and out of the Stapleton Airport, which the Denver International Airport would replace, were conducted by United Airlines and Continental Airlines, yet No input from either of these organizations was ever sought or consulted during the design phase of the gates, terminals, runways, or baggage handling systems. Second, the terminal construction was started and well underway before anyone doing that construction knew what the design of the baggage handling system was. And the baggage handling system is said to be one of the most complex and sophisticated in the world. This seems impossible and has to be one of the biggest project management disasters in history. There is also evidence that the city of Denver didn't go through the required systematic bid process when hiring contractors. For example, They hired one large firm that had done business with them before without the usual request for proposal process where the request is made public and the offers are compared. There is some evidence of these documents being created but not the amounts of submissions and replies you would expect when you are building one of the largest complexes in the world. In addition to that, the construction began without any signed contracts with the two major airlines who would be operating at the airport. This allowed these companies to demand changes and the airport had no legal way to refuse or have the airlines help pay for these changes. So, a mess. And let's pause here to consider something that relates to this case. Without getting ahead of ourselves, the major conspiracy theories surrounding the Denver airport revolve around dark forces and the super elite making underground bunkers for the impending apocalypse so that they can have a place in which to run the new world order and live away from the masses slugging it out on the surface. This is all rumored to be a 100 year plan to take over the world, and if the people doing it are the same people who planned and built this airport, it seems like we probably don't have much to worry about. Then again, whenever we find billions upon billions of extra dollars slushing around, you can bet that plenty of companies and the people at the tops of those companies grab some of that money. And the old excuse of scope of work creep going unchecked is a classic deep state shell game. 
So this might not be the debacle it seems to be on the surface. Moving on. Another aspect that has caused considerable curiosity is the sheer amount of earth moved in the process of building the Denver International Airport. 110 million cubic yards of earth were moved during the construction. That's equal to one-third of the soil moved to dig the Panama Canal. Enough dirt was dug out at the Denver International Airport site to bury 32 city blocks one quarter of a mile deep. The construction process was so chaotic partly because of this massive amount of earth moving. As esoteric as it may sound, there are actually earth moving forums and websites where people who get really jazzed about moving large amounts of dirt around and the specialized giant machines it takes to do that get together and talk about moving huge amounts of dirt and on those sites the Denver International Airport is legendary. But moving that much material, some 300,000 cubic yards per day at its peak, caused roads, drainage ditches, and mountains of dirt to constantly require changes in position and directions which created an unusually hazardous job site. So much so that standing teams of paramedics were eventually stationed at various points on the site to be ready for the constant calamities befalling people trying to drive or work around this area. In the early months of construction, there were five buildings that were designed, constructed, and fully completed. They are arranged with four of the buildings positioned at the corners of a square, and the fifth building halfway between two of these to make a sort of overall square with a triangle on top shape. It was discovered only after these five buildings were completed that they had been put in the wrong place. Oops. So what did they do? They left the buildings where they were, then covered them with enough dirt to make level ground above them again, so they buried them, then they built the rest of the project over them. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is an undisputed occurrence. The airport officials say these buried buildings are now used for storage. This mistake sounds like bull skating to me and it's very likely the source of much of the conspiracy lore to have arisen around the Denver International Airport, and for good reason. A few other threads include some highly connected Clinton cronies being involved with the project, the fact that no one can figure out exactly where all of these billions of dollars came from, and we have one CIA agent caught on audio tape telling the mayor of Denver to build the airport at that location chosen no matter what it takes. But as for the money and the construction of the Denver International Airport, that's all we're going to really go into here. So now for the crazy stuff, and this gets fun. Part 2. The Weirdness There is so much bizarre business going on here at the old Denver International Airport that I have to consider where to start and how to go through it all. Let's just start as if we were driving to the airport to take a flight, and then we'll just be sure to catch all the sights along our way to the gates. 
The first thing we notice as we make the drive out to DIA is the bright white peaked cones that form the roof of this massive structure in the literal middle of nowhere. The translucent tent-like roof is made to resemble either the teepees of the Plains Indians or the peaks of the mountains in the background, and I've read both accounts. The overall appearance of the airport is beautiful from a distance, and it is consistently ranked as one of the most beautiful structures in the world. Part of the unique look was accomplished by an original design concept created by the architects who built it. Fentress Architects decided to put all of the mechanical, electrical, plumbing, air conditioning, and other utilities under the buildings rather than on the roofs. This allowed for a more free-form sculptural roof line and is in a large part responsible for both the striking unique roof line of the airport and the need for a vast array of tunnels and chambers underneath it. The white tent-like roof cones are made from a material called sheer fill created by the company St. Gobain and it is essentially a Teflon coated fiberglass fabric that is translucent, has high insulation properties, can shed snow easily, and conveniently enough is impervious to radar. As we approach the terminal, we are greeted by a 32-foot-tall, 9,000-pound statue of a ripped, blue, rearing horse with bulging veins, black-spiked mane and tail, and bright red, glowing, laser-light eyes. This ominous figure is said to represent the fourth horse of the apocalypse, the pale horse that heralds widespread death. So, thanks for putting that at the entrance to the airport. Once again, we are reminded of one of the original conspiracy theorists, Bill Cooper, whose book, Behold a Pale Horse, is a conspiracy theory artifact at this point. Locals have given the ominous horse the nickname, Blucifer, and adding to the tragic strangeness, part of the horse fell on the sculptor, Luis Jimenez, killing him before it was finished. His family and some other craftsmen finish the horse, and there it stands to scare everyone who sees it on their way to or from the Denver International Airport. As we make our way into the main terminal, and what the DIA calls the Grand Hall, which is also the term the Freemasons use to describe the largest rooms in their lodges, but on the whole is a pretty generic term for a large room, we come across the airport's dedication capstone. A dedication capstone is common in large or important buildings, and it's just a stone marker, usually carved with things like the date the building was built, who built it, and the like. In this case, the DIA dedication capstone features the Freemason's G symbol in the center. It does have the date of March 19, 1994, which, depending on what you would call finished, is either when the airport was, at one point, planned to be done, or when it was at least done enough for someone to drive to it without paramedics stationed at every intersection, but in any case, this is the date we see on the capstone. Numerologists have pointed out that if you add the numerals in the date together, it equals 33, which is the highest level one can reach in the degrees of the secret Freemason society, in other words, the Illuminati. 
But it's also the unexplained number on the back of a bottle of a Rolling Rock beer, which appears at the bottom of the note that reads, From the glass-lined tanks of Old Latrobe, we tender this premium beer for your enjoyment as a tribute to your good taste. It comes from the mountain spring to you. This text is also 33 wards. Coincidence? Back to the stone. The stone lists two of the Masonic lodges in Colorado, but these Freemasons are indicated as simply paying for the stone, and as far as anyone knows, had little or nothing to do with any construction of the airport. It also tells us the capstone covers a time capsule to be opened at a date in the future, 2094. So about 100 years after the airport was built. This is also a normal thing and everything would have probably been hunky-dory if the carvers of the stone would have just left it at that. But they had to add one last line, which is, New World Airport Commission Contributors, Martin Marietta Aeronautics, Fentress Bradburn Architects, Zimmerman Metals. These are the people who actually did build the airport, but there is just one problem. There is no such thing as the New World Airport Commission that anyone can find or verify. And the name contains two out of three of the words New World Order. The New World Airport Commission is either wholly made up or so secret that it's invisible to the research of thousands. One of the most alarming experiences of walking beyond the capstone and continuing through the airport is the chance to peruse the creepy murals of artist Leo Tanguma, who received at least six figures of taxpayer dollars for the murals. So what did they display for everyone getting ready to fly as they pass by? The first of these murals depicts a giant stormtrooper soldier in a gas mask holding a machine gun and swinging a sword over cowering children to stab the white dove of peace. On his left are bombed out buildings, and on his right is an endless line of women holding dead babies and crying. Nice. And keep in mind, these murals are really big. I don't know exactly the dimensions, and I didn't look them up, but I would say they're 10 feet tall and 15 or 20 feet wide, and most of them are rectangles. They're huge. Another of the murals shows a few animals in glass boxes, a dead turtle, a stuffed buffalo, a city burning, and six kids mourning over three other kids in open coffins. Now I'm ready to fly the friendly skies. One mural shows kids from many nations around the world gathered around what looks to be some space-age, genetically engineered, hallucinogenic plant, and another shows similar kids with swords and guns wrapped in their nation's flags, with the stormtrooper from before dead below them. Taken together, these murals are supposed to show the triumph of peace over war, but they aren't all right next to each other, and the general effect is unsettling, to say the least. Mountain Weekly News columnist Mike Hardiker said the murals have him at, quote, a loss for words. And lest anyone think I'm cherry-picking a compliment and framing it to imply a negative reaction, that's the mainstream media's style, not Renegade Files, this author goes on to say, quote, Aside from the forest and city burning, children laying in coffins, and animals that seem to be extinct, these seem to be nice pieces of artwork. 
And I guess the main point here is, what were they thinking? It takes a long process of commissions, sketches, and approvals before any artwork is erected in a public place. And if you were on your way to catch your plane and you saw Ben Affleck, you couldn't even yell, Ben Affleck, you were the bomb in Phantoms, yo! in the airport without being ushered off to a back office for a few hours of interrogation and if you think I'm kidding, make a joke about a bomb or drugs in the line getting on a plane and see what happens. No, don't do that. And yet, the walls of the DIA are decorated with bombed buildings, dead kids, and the apocalypse. I mean really, who thought this was a cool idea? There's also a photo of a young Barack Obama in front of one of the murals that floats around, but I think that's been proven to be photoshopped. It seems that the nonstop negative reactions to these murals eventually caused the airport authorities to remove them. As of today, they have been replaced with other works that depict things like the western frontier and the riches of the Colorado mountains and culture, and that seems more like it. But removing the disturbing murals didn't remove much of the strangeness within the Denver airport. Continuing on, we see through one of the picture windows that looks out over the runways, a towering statue of Anubis, the Egyptian god of death and embalming. You know Anubis, he's the cool one with the head of a jackal. I did a report on him when I was in elementary school. One of Anubis's main duties is escorting the newly dead across the river Styx and into the afterlife. Not exactly the guy I want to see as I'm running to catch a plane, though. Here again, the airport authorities have a simple explanation. The 26-foot-tall, 7-ton statue of the Egyptian god of death staring at you from outside the South Terminal at Denver Airport is just there to promote a traveling museum an exhibition of ancient Egyptian artifacts that's coming to town. Okay, fine. But why Anubis? By the museum's own account, the Egyptian display the statue is promoting will display 100 objects from King Tut's tomb, as well as objects spanning 2,000 years of Old Kingdom Egyptian artifacts. Why not a statue of King Tut? He's way more recognizable to the average person. Why not a statue of any of the 100 items to be on display? A little pyramid. Anything but the god of death. One last oddity about the Anubis god of death statue at the airport is that on the base of the statue, it's labeled King Tut. Why? Did whoever made this seven-ton statue not know the difference? Did they think Tutankhamun was a dog? It's just more weirdness, I guess. Saying goodbye to old Anubis, we move on to meet a friend when she picks up her luggage. Simple enough, you might think we're safe. But arriving at the conveyor belt, we look up to find black sculptures of open suitcases with devilish gargoyles, their long tongues out, and their lanky hands pressed to their monstrous faces, looking down to mock us from above. And these aren't those quirky garden gargoyles. These things look like the gargoyles guarding the gates at Minas Morgul. They're terrifying. Don't they know little kids and plenty of adults are already afraid to fly? 
Those things popping out of suitcases and glaring down at you are the most efficient kind of nightmare fuel. What exactly, Denver International Airport, are those things supposed to represent? A devil of a good time in Denver? Excuse me, ma'am, can I pack a demon in my carry-on, or do those have to be checked? Oh, you silly conspiracy theorists. Don't you know that a horrible, deformed black gargoyle in your suitcase is a symbol of a safe flight and a pleasant vacation in Denver? Having survived the demon horse of the apocalypse, read the Masonic New World Airport Commission stone, sneaked past the Egyptian god of death, endured the genocidal Nazi murals, and snatched our suitcase from the clutches of the gargoyle devils, we now hurry back through the airport. No doubt dodging men in black at every turn, hoping to find a rental car company not operated by Satan himself. As we make this perilous journey, we notice the marble floors. Marble of various types, by the way, imported from multiple countries at what I'm sure was considerable expense. Inlaid into the marble at many spots are unexplained images, symbols, and unintelligible words. One of these looks like an ore cart and displays the letters AU and AG, which are the elements silver and gold, but some theorize that together they form the shorthand name AUAG of a deadly strain of hepatitis called Australian antigen, which people say was discovered by one of the airport's founders. Baruch Samuel Blumberg discovered the Australian antigen, but I could find no connections between Blumberg and the airport, so I think this is a stretch. Of all the craziness in the Denver airport, this ore cart with the symbols for silver and gold on it seemed pretty self-explanatory. It's an ore cart with the symbols of silver and gold on it. But carving out granite and inlaying this graphic in brass flush to the floor probably cost at least a few hundred bucks to do, and you start to see how they could have spent two billion dollars more than they were allotted because something like this adds nothing except cost. I mean, you step on it. The other odd things in the granite are inlaid in a similar way, and some of them say things like zit dit guy. <laughs> That's D-Z-I-T, D-I-T. G-A-I-I, -I. and I won't spell the rest, but things like Nunai Nisai, or Willa Riala, <laughs> and then a lot of the inlays are symbols and things like leaves or feathers or animals. I've read that the unreadable, or at least unreadable to me, words are some from the Native American languages in the area. As far as the creepy things going on at the Denver International Airport, these odd things in the floor are the least of it. Some of it seems cool, but for the most part, they come across as unnecessary expenses that add little, if anything. Part 3. The Official Narrative and Responses For all of the bizarre things going on at the Denver International Airport, some of the official story is what you might expect. The underground tunnels were just built for the baggage transport system, never mind the fact that they don't use them for that. The art is just art? Okay, fine, but how did the decision makers who choose art for the Denver airport always land on death, demons, embalming gods, Nazi genocide, burning cities, kids in coffins, and devils in suitcases? The New World Airport Commission. We just made that up because it sounded cool. Alright. 
the extra $2 billion spent to build the thing. Either we're just bad at managing money, or we're really good at lining our own pockets with state and federal funding. Perhaps the strangest mystery surrounding the Denver International Airport is the unlikely way the airport authorities have chosen to respond to all of the conspiracy ideas swirling around the airport since it was opened, and constantly to this day. Rather than ignore the speculations, the airport marketing and public relations teams have embraced them. They created the hashtag DEN files to tag things like new construction or changes at the airport, and all of their posts have sarcastic references to the conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories, remember, that have only arisen due to the largest airport in the country that buried five buildings after making them as a mistake, that cost a few billion over budget, that moved enough dirt to fill a third of the Panama Canal, and that filled every public space with shocking, offensive, apocalyptic art. But mocking their critics on Twitter isn't all. You've probably seen the large panels in places like airports, and they erect them to hide construction or renovations going on behind them. They used to put them up in malls back when we had malls. Since they are temporary walls facing high traffic areas, they make a great spot for advertising. Often they'll show an illustration of what the finished edition might look like. In the case of the Denver International Airport, however, these renovation screens are filled with cheeky jabs taken at the conspiracy theorists. I'll post all of these images and many others in the dark intel files which you can see through the Patreon link in the show notes. One of these renovation signs shows a construction worker's hard hat with the classic Illuminati all-seeing eye in the triangle on the front of it, and the sign reads, Construction or Cover Up. Another shows a lizard in a shirt and tie, and to the right, the text reads, What are we doing? Adding amazing new restaurants and bars? Building an Illuminati headquarters? or remodeling the lizard people's lair. One construction sign shows the demon horse Blucifer with its red eyes shooting lasers at the ground, and that one says, are we creating the world's greatest airport or preparing for the end of the world? Ha ha ha, the end of the world, funny. Time to catch my plane. I swear, these people never give up. There are a bunch more of these signs. Other images on them include UFOs, a cat in a tinfoil hat, a green alien, their much maligned gargoyle, and more. They all have similar sarcastic wording that pokes fun at this long list of conspiracies and questions they themselves have created through mismanagement of funds, overkill in construction, and in the best case scenario, poor decision making and art selection and in the worst case scenario, calculated imagery designed as pure New World Order propaganda. And I can appreciate them having a sense of humor about it and trying to have some fun with it, which is exactly what their CEO said, but it's still weird. But the Denver International Airport didn't stop at snarky signs with conspiracy images. Sometime in 2019, they installed Greg the Talking Gargoyle. It is a beyond creepy animatronic statue on a pedestal in one of the common areas and it heckles guests as they walk by and engages them in bizarre chats 
with sarcastic nods to the conspiracies stacking up all around it. This falls so firmly into the Renegade Files I can't make this stuff up category that I can hardly believe it myself. First of all, who knows how much it costs to actually design and build a fully functional animatronic gargoyle that looks like a statue but can squirm around and talk. Second of all, when you watch videos of it interacting with people, it's obvious that someone is operating the beast and speaking through it in real time. It makes fun of a person's shirt. It asks if it can eat the flowers a girl is holding. All that. So not only did they spend who knows how much making a Disney-level creep show character, but they pay someone to sit in a control room somewhere, watch a camera that spies on people walking by, creepy, then operate the moving statue to make fun of them and make fun of all the airport's conspiracy ideas. Let's listen to some audio from this abomination that greets you before and after your flight. Cue Greg the Gargoyle. For whatever reason, his name is Greg. That's a little too close for comfort, lady. Oh, oh, damn. Um... What, you never seen a talking gargoyle before? Welcome to Illuminati headquarters. I mean, Denver International Airport. (laughs) This is awesome. Hello. Do I know you? Are you hungry? Oh, I'm starving. You got anything for me? Those flowers look delicious. Oh, my God. Oh, it's because of the conspiracy. Oh, it's because of the conspiracy. Look at me. I'm a little know-it-all. Will you get back over here? I got a question about this conspiracy. Did you have to buy an extra seat for your hat, sir? Sir, are you stealing a desk? Sir, you have resting confused face. Do you have a favorite animal or pet? A caterpillar? Wouldn't you rather have a gargoyle? No! Yes! You know, you can actually put the phone down and have a conversation with me. But no, I'm a millennial. I've got to post it. I've got to snap face it and Twitter book it. (laughs) Excuse me, miss, I've got a stain that needs some polishing. Can I borrow your cleaning cart? Oh, no. I need your help. Guess what my favorite food is. What? No, I want you to guess. Uh, Cumin? Cumin. Yes, I love cumin. (gasps) I said Oh, I thought you said cumin. I'm a real big spice guy. <laughs> Furry hat guy. I can't believe you are wearing one of my friends. Hey, this isn't your friend. It used to be until you put it on your head, man. <laughs> How old are you? Well, 243 years old now. I look good for my age, don't I? Yeah, work out. All the time. You should see my squats. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a sweet talker. Will you take me back home with you? Let's go. I have some space in my backpack. Actually, I think you have too much baggage for me. Phenomenal. My summary. This was a really fun episode. There is so much going on here. The general conspiracy theories are that those millions of yards of dirt were dug out to build an underground retreat for the elite or the military and high-ranking government officials in the event of a doomsday. Or that they built the underground city for any number of reasons big governments build stuff underground. 
and there are five fully operational buildings underground at the site. That is a fact. And doesn't it seem just a bit like a cock and bull story to you that they would complete five multi-story buildings, fit and finish them all out with wiring, plumbing, air handling, and then realize that all five of those fully built buildings were a mistake, so their response is bury them, then build the airport over them. This is ludicrous. And it speaks volumes to how stupid whoever is in charge here thinks people are. They'd like everyone in the world to believe that anyone who contemplates any alternative idea is a conspiracy theorist dummy. But I would argue that the real dummy is anyone who, in their right mind, believes that the Denver International Airport accidentally built five big buildings then decided to cover them with dirt and just build the airport over them and that's how those buildings got down there. That is crazy. And I know I'm going on a bit about it, but a building that is as enormous and as heavily trafficked as an international airport has to have a foundation and it has to be designed and built for structural integrity and you can't just have a bunch of old buildings covered in dirt under it all willy-nilly. Seriously. And the surplus billions and billions of dollars over budget? Follow the money. Like Lennon said, you look for the one who will benefit. Look at the airport. It is beautiful. It obviously cost a lot to make. But when a few billion extra can be tacked on, someone is going to milk that. Seems like they did. So enough rants. What do we think about some of the specific conspiracies? Is there an underground city or base there? There are five buildings underground that we know of, and huge tunnels, and who knows what else. What's it all for? You can visit denfiles.com and get their story, and that's probably all we'll ever know. By all accounts, there's something fishy going on here, and uh, exactly what, I have no idea. What about the creepy artwork and statues? For some reason, and you can make of it what you will, but from the research I did, every artist who was commissioned to make something for the Denver airport is a lifelong communist or Marxist-Leninist who has proactively created art designed to promote those ideals. So here we have a situation that reminds us of the Laurel Canyon conspiracy theory episode, which is Renegade Files episode number 7, so be sure to listen to that if you haven't. But in that episode, one thing we realized was that, yes, many of the bands from Laurel Canyon in the 60s were good bands, but so are a lot of bands. Here we have a similar situation. The artists with murals and statues throughout the Denver International Airport are talented artists but millions of people are talented artists. Is it mere coincidence that, without exception, every artist chosen to put something on public display at the Denver International Airport is a Marxist-Leninist-Communist activist? So it seems that what we have here is a little more nefarious than simple bad decisions about what kind of art to put in the airport. What we see over and over are new world order ideologies of crushing the old system, reducing the population, 
and rebuilding a socialist utopia for the children of the world. Along the way, there are monsters. And if this airport was built by like-minded individuals of the New World Order regime, this facility puts on display exactly what we can expect from their utopia. The mismanagement of enormous sums of money. A total lack of skillful planning. Overkill in scope and size. And a this-is-for-us-to-know-and-not-for-you mentality. Like so many cases you and I have explored on Renegade Files, we don't need to employ deep creativity to conjure up some elaborate conspiracy scandal around the Denver International Airport. The facts that anyone can see are quite strange enough as it is. What do the facts tell us about the creators of the Denver International Airport? They built five buildings by mistake, and their solution was to bury them. And they forgot to consult the airlines when they built an airport and they hired communist extremists to put up art that bothered people so much that they had to take most of it down. And when they budgeted the construction, they were off by $2 billion. But they are smart, and you and I are silly conspiracy theorists. Thank you sincerely for taking a trip with me to the Denver International Airport. Right now is a good time to visit our merchandise store through the show notes, get some cool Renegade Files gear, and help the show stay ad-free. We have cool stuff in the store, like a coffee mug that says, Stay Wild, Alien Child. We have Cicada 3301 t-shirts, long-sleeve tees, tanks, clean designs, and it's free to look, so check it out. Then, easily share the show by sending your friends our website, therenegadefiles.com, where they can listen to every episode on our free player, or find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more with one-click buttons that take you directly to the show on those platforms. That's therenegadefiles.com. Be sure to tap the link in the show notes to visit our Patreon page, where you can get bonus episodes dark intel files research, extra content, and transcripts for each episode, cool rewards like t-shirts and shoutouts, and you can get all of this and more for way less money than you spend each month on coffee. A tiny amount from you adds up with a small amounts from others to make a huge difference for Renegade Files. It keeps the show free and ad-free, and it's free to check the page out, so tap the Patreon link in the show notes and I'll see you in there. Thank you for being a true Renegade Files fan. I'm your intrepid host, Lex Gordon. Stay wild, steampunk child. <laughs>